Oh Lord, Father, we thank you for this morning. Oh Lord, Father, we thank you for the second week of Advent. Oh Lord, Father, help us to continue to remind us, Lord, continue to remind us of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your love, and Lord, Father, of your peace that have given to us, oh Lord. And Lord, Father, help us to continue to see you in a greater light every single day. And Lord, Father, prepare our hearts as we approach Christmas and give us joy that you have given. And Lord, Father, give us a greater expectation of your gifts, of the things that you have, of the promises that you have given in the Bible. And Lord, Father, continue to cause joy to well up within us. And I thank you for all this. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. 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 So... <laughs> I guess most of people will probably know this week it's Advent, the second week. So, like, the theme is uh, peace. So, I guess there's, like a, there's some, I guess, de- depending on tradition, it might change a little bit. But, well, like, uh, we, we will we'll be using the one that's talking about peace this week. So, um, so I guess, like, uh, when we talk, kind of think about uh, this season, Advent, I think it's a pretty interesting season in some ways. It's pretty different too, because I think a lot of times uh, in the church liturgical calendar, uh, Advent, it's almost like a new year, because it's also the time where uh, the light starts getting more and more, so it's kind of the switch of the year. But I think what's interesting about Advent is uh, in some ways you can kind of look at it as a, as a form of covenantal renewal too. So... Um, so I like to say here is like a, it's kind of a reminder of what God has done and what He will continue to do also, and it will be kind of over this whole month. So it's, December is always exciting, I guess, and of course, like everyone's like a ready for holidays. That's also another nice thing. So I guess like a, just a quick reminder on when we talk about uh, covenants. I think most covenants, in some ways, have a couple of elements. So, like, uh, there's usually the historicity. So, it's kind of, sometimes you can say it's like a preamble, kind of like a what's happening, like a what's the current situation, what happened in the past. And there's usually some kind of a relational hierarchy, like who's the, who's the parties that's involved. So, I guess in a lot of biblical covenants, it's always God and the people of Israel. And there's also some form of contract whether it may be the ethics, whether it may be sanctions, or whether it may be oaths. So in the contract, in this like a document, I guess you'll be saying uh, what God will do and what the people need to do. And if this is done, like there will be this kind of blessing. If it's not done, there will be this kind of curses. And the people usually have to have some kind of agreement. Well, not necessary, I think, not always. And there's also some kind of confirmation and when it comes to the confirmations, a lot of times it's like a, some form of celebration, or it might be some form of a renewal, or some kind of reminder over the years. And a lot of times during those, uh, maybe like a year or so, they'll have, I guess this is also why one of the reasons why a feast comes about in the Bible. A lot of times it's a reminder, and it's a form of like a covenant celebration, form of like a covenant renewal in some ways. But I guess, like, uh, I would say in covenant theology, probably uh, the most important one is the new covenant. So let's remind ourselves a little bit about what the new covenant is. So uh, briefly, the new covenant, we talk, we talk about its historicity. 
it's mostly the Old Testament narrative. So in this, like a man continually broke the covenant, and there's no hope of fulfilling any part of the covenant. And so it's, uh, in some ways, I think like, uh, the Bible is kind of an interesting story in that it's, I guess it starts out pretty sad in some ways. <laughs> I mean, look at the whole Testament. It's like a pretty negative in some ways. Like a, nobody can do anything much. They keep failing over and over again. Um, then also with the new covenant, next one, it's a relational hierarchy. It's, you have God and man. But this time, of course, with the new covenant, it was one big, big difference. It's Christ being the mediator because he's kind of in between. He's, well, it's not, not really in between, but it's both. So that's a nice part. And it's necessary because you really need somebody that's both to be the middle of them, to kind of get this bridge. And when you look at the contract, uh, I think it's an interesting idea when you think about membership deals. When you join a lot of like a gym, when you join gyms or some kind of a club membership, usually there's some kind of payment you have to make. So I think it's a pretty interesting idea when you think about membership because in some ways this contract is similar. In your contract, like I say, a gym membership contract will tell you how much you have to pay, like what kind of benefits you have, and if you do something wrong, you might get kicked out of the gym. But in uh, the new covenant, this... Uh, there's only one condition, and it's believing in Christ. So it's kind of cool in some ways, because in this contract uh, between God and man, man's role is a little different, because man's role is really just receiving all the benefits. Like the one that's doing all the payment is Christ. So in some ways, like a new covenant, it's a really good deal. It's like joining a gym membership, but you never have to pay for it. It's free for you. <laughs> And like next one is a confirmation. And so when we talk about this confirmation, uh, I like to think about think of it about in a way it's like a year-end party. I think in a lot of big companies you have year-end parties. Like a, it's like a time where you kind of uh, look back at the year, what you have done, look back into uh, your vision, what you have mentioned in the beginning, like what you should be achieving, and how far along are you on this target. And also to celebrate, like, a, I guess, like, a, all the hard work that I've done throughout the year and as a team together. And also uh, to look forward to what's going to happen, what's next. So I think it's kind of a, in, like a good way to think about it because with uh, confirmation in covenants, it's somewhat similar in, in this sense. So I think in Advent, it's kind of this way to, when you come to a time of Advent, we kind of look at all what we have done over the, the year and what God has done throughout history and what he will be continuing to do and what we will, what's our role in this also. So I think it's kind of interesting. It's kind of important to understand like what's our role like a, in Bibles, to look at all the promises and to look at what's going to happen also. So I guess like in the next slide, you'll see like we'll have four themes in Advent. Uh, this is mostly by tradition. So I guess we'll have kind of go have a quick review. And it's like also a reminder of some of the elements we'll talk about in uh, this covenant. And so the first one, it's uh, hope. 
So in some ways, when we think about home, you're kind of thinking about this uh, historic city. Because if you remember, like the Old Testament, people are pretty hopeless. There's not much hope. There's not much they can do to come anywhere close to God. And this is a reminder that Christ is the only way. This is the only mediator. And the second week, uh, when we talk about peace, I guess a big focus is when we talk about the hierarchy. Like God, it's transcendent, and we have the people, us, that's kind of a... His son, in some ways. And we also talk about Christ as the mediator in, in this whole covenant structure. And it's also about restoration from what was intended in the beginning and what should be at the end. So then the third week, uh, we talk about joy. It's a kind of like this. Uh, uh, the big focus is this contractual, contractual element. Because with Christ as a mediator, what he has done for us, and we have joy because all this like, benefits we receive, all the payment he has done. So it's a lot about redemption, a lot about communion back to God, and a lot about being the family of God. And the last week, uh, the fourth week, it's uh, love. And I guess love in some ways encompasses all of them. Because with love, I... I I think uh, the song, What a Beautiful Name, kind of puts it pretty well. In the second verse, if you remember what a beautiful name, it says, uh, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could ever, what could separate us now? So I think this, this is a pretty nice verse. I like that verse. But, uh, well, uh, this week I got... Since it's week two, we'll be talking about peace. There will be peace on earth. So, like, I pulled this from uh, Blue Letter Bible. Uh, and it's uh, Greek 1 15 15. And I won't do the Blue Letter Bible version today. <laughs> but it, it says, uh, it's pronounced as Irene. And I think, like, uh, Blue Letter Bible, I guess, uh, in the Strong's Concordance, they kind of summarize peace pretty well. I like how they put it. So if you see here, the first one, it says, a state of national tranquility. And it says, exemption from rage and havoc of war. So a seizing of war. And number two, it says, peace between individuals. Harmony. And it says, a concord. And number three, there's security, safety, prosperity, felicity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe. And prosperous. And number four, of the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace, which is salvation. Number five, of Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul, assured of his salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot or what or whatsoever sort that is. So I like this pretty much. It's kind of uh, describe how we should be thinking about in our lives nowadays. And the last one, the blessed state of devout and upright men after death. So I think this it's, description is pretty good. It encompasses, encompasses a pretty wide variety of scenarios. So I guess I got going to the outline. Uh, I guess I got, I'll, do, I'll be doing this. Uh, I guess I'll be going through four things that we'll be looking at. And it will be a pretty brief recap of some of the covenantal elements relating to peace. Of course, it's not exhaustive because 
when you talk about peace, there's just too many of them. I just pick out a few only, and it's like, it takes out a lot of time, really. If you talk about all of them, you're almost like a, you pretty much touch every single book of the Bible. I'm sure you guys don't want to stay for like a week or more. So uh, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to talk about the beginning. So what was intended? So of course, like, uh, as you might have guessed, we'll be talking a lot about Genesis, the first few verses or the first few chapters. Then also next, we'll be going through the fall. So what have changed? And also that will be the next few uh, chapters in Genesis also. Then we'll kind of look at restoration, what Christ has done. So now we take a little bit of a jump all the way to uh, the transition between the Old and New Testament. Uh, the, of course, there's the whole Old Testament part. They probably won't touch that one. There's a lot also. <laughs> if you cover that, it'll take a long time. And there's also the finale and what will be in the end, what will be the consummation, what will be the final state. And of course, uh, as you have guessed, that's probably uh, Revelations in the last few chapters. So let's talk about the beginning. So in the beginning, like, uh, I think one of the interesting things to look at is the dominion mandate, because that's really what God has intended from the very start. So let's take a look at Genesis 1, verse 27 to 31. I'll just read it off here. And verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he has made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So I guess like, when we kind of look through the dominion mandate, there's a couple of things that kind of stand out. So one of them is dominion over the earth. And we kind of do this, uh, we kind of sub, uh, subjugate the earth through fruitfulness by multiplying and kind of subduing the earth. So I guess like one of the important things, things that you probably think of here through fruitfulness is just having a lot of children, having a lot of people, having a congregation. And the other one is dominion over life. And uh, if you've seen the dominion mandate, it's like we subdue the earth over all the bees, over the fish of the seas, over the animals of the land, and over the birds of the earth. So everything that's on earth. And uh, if you, I think one interesting thing is I want to take a look at Genesis 2, verse 16 through 17. Uh, do we have that verse? All right. I think it's interesting because what you see here in verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But we also know that there's another really important tree in the garden, too, and that's the tree of life. But I think what's interesting here is uh, if you look at this verse, it didn't say anything about not having the tree of life. It only says do not eat of 
that one tree is the knowledge of good and evil. So in some ways, like what you see here, it's the tree of life was intended for man from the beginning and is part of the dominion, uh, dominion over life that we conquer life in itself. Not conquer life, but receive life in itself. So I think the other thing is uh, with the dominion mandate, you'll see it's you have a satisfaction through work. We remember early on in Genesis, uh, God brought the, like, uh, all the animals and Adam named them. And also, since God said like, uh, he created man after his own image, and we see how God created things, wherever he finished one day, he says it was very good. And there's a certain satisfaction that's through work. There's no waste. There's, it's like a perfect productivity that whatever you do succeeds and everything goes smoothly. Uh, the other thing that we'll see here, it's like a, you, probably one of the most important ones, it's perfect communion. And let's take a look at Genesis 2, verse 22 to 25. It says, And the rib that the Lord God has taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to, man, to the man. And the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So I think what's interesting here is like uh, we see that nothing is hidden in this state, even though they are naked, but they say they are not shameful. But I think what's interesting in the Bible also, a lot of times, we know that Adam, in some ways, represents or points towards Christ. And Eve, a lot of times, points towards the bride. So we kind of, just, we kind of see this like a somewhat interesting pattern in that uh, like God created Adam, and from Adam came Eve. But also, in some ways, from Eve came Christ. And then from Christ came the church. And then from this church like a Christ connected it back to God again. And so it's very symbolic, always, I think, in the Bible. It's kind of cool. And like uh, the verse that we read just now, like uh, if you remember what Adam has said, he says, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. But also in Genesis, you will see like uh, uh, that it, when it talks about men and women, this, it says that man shall live his father and his mother, and with the woman they shall become one. And I guess if we think of this in the light of uh, how with the relationship between God and man or Christ and man, it's kind of this kind of relationship too, that Christ kind of left whatever he has and came to his bride and they become one. Or we can't say become one, they have perfect communion. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that's the beginning. So we kind of remember, we kind of put this in your mind and kind of uh, cash it, <laughs> because uh, as we go through the next few portions, you probably will have to remember what we have talked about. Yeah, I try to organize it better, but it's, like, uh, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> so uh, remember, in the beginning, is a dominion, dominion over earth, dominion over life. You have satisfaction, you have perfect communion. So let's take a look at the fall. So in the fall, the first thing that comes about with everybody's mind is the rebellion. And let's take a look at Genesis 3, verse 14 through 15. 
It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat. All the days of your life, I'll put enmity between you and the women, and between your offspring and the offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So in the fall, here, a lot of times the serpent, of course, it's point. We, like uh, we kind of also recognize it as Satan. And, and here, like uh, we see what the first thing that was destroyed is dominion over the earth. Remember in the dominion mandate, it says like uh, you shall subdue the earth. And all the animals of the land and the sea and the air, it's yours to conquer. So like there's like a change in hierarchy here because now the serpent, the beast of the earth, kind of try to flip this around. And so the hierarchy is destroyed and this peace kind of ceased. And we also saw, saw of course, there's a continual, continual warfare against Satan. And of, of course, many of you You'll probably remember in uh, Genesis 3, verse 14 to 15, it talks about, I'll put enmity between your offspring and uh, you and the, your, and the offspring of the women. And of course, we see it a lot of times in the light of what Christ has done. And of course, in the garden where he uses heel to crush a serpent's head. And so that's that symbolic symbolism there. Uh, so we'll kind of look at that a bit later. But I guess the other thing uh, here, it's uh, in the fall, there's also pain and separation. Let's take a look at Genesis 3, verse 16. It says, To the woman, he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So here again, like a man and woman, a lot of times simultaneously, it points towards God and his people. So what we see here, what was lost is there's this contrary desire. Like people start losing the desire for God anymore. They start losing the need for this communion. And they are in some ways happy in their sin sometimes. And that's, that's this forceful rule. And there's also uh, birth pains. Uh, in the Bible, when we talk about birth pains... Uh, it also relates to a couple of other things. So let's take a look at Isaiah 26, verse 17 to 18. It says, Like a pregnant woman who lives and cries out in her pangs when she's near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we lived, but we have given birth to win. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. So you see, in this portion of this time... <laughs> Like, although the nation of Israel, they strive hard, but what they have described here, it's they feel the labor pains, but it's, there's this unproductivity, the unfruitfulness, because they give birth to nothing, nothing came about. And also, if you kind of look at uh, Matthew 24, verse 8, it says here, so all this, but it's the beginning of the birth pains. And if you remember the context of this verse, it's really talking about... Uh, uh, I guess Josiah probably mentioned it quite a lot, especially in this, this few weeks. In this context of this verse, it's kind of talking about what is going to happen uh, in AD 70, the Roman rule. And Jesus here is kind of talking about this warfare, like this kind of time of pain, this kind of time of unrest 
that's coming. And he kind of described it as birth pains here too. So we kind of see here, like when the Bible talks about birth pains, a lot of times it's talking about unrest. It's talking about uneasiness. It's talking about peace going away. So the other thing that we see in the fall is there's this unproductivity, there's a fruitlessness, there's a degradation, and there's death also. So let's take a look at Genesis 3, verse 17 through 19. It says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are thus, and to dust you shall return. So now we see uh, also in this portion after God, after they have sinned, and God kind of gave all, all this uh, reprobation, we see next what happened is also the access to the tree of life is removed. And communion, it's broken also. So let's take a look at Genesis 3, verse 22 to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he has taken and drove out of the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. So you see here what's happening now? The tree of life, you don't have access anymore. So when you don't really have the access to the tree of life, then kind of death kind of ensues straight, straight after it. And there's also this degradation. So uh, the other thing that we see here is that the ground becomes life-taking. So let's take a look at Genesis 4, verse 10 through 11. It says, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood in your hand. So if you remember like uh, in the beginning, the dominion, in the initial state, like the ground, the earth was one that gives life. It was one that produces fruit. It was one that produces man from it. Everything came from the earth. It's something that's life-giving. But when the fall happens, this kind of switches around a little bit that this earth now becomes life-taking. And God also says, from dust you came and from dust you shall go. So your life, it's eventually going to be taken away. And uh, a big part of work, it's also becoming difficult because all the days man now shall toil for sustenance. And now it, so it kind of becomes life-taking now in some ways. But also, like, uh, as we kind of look through Genesis, you also see another thing. It's um, that the lifespan of people start decreasing over time, like, uh, especially in the first 10 chapters. If you look at their lives, it's like a uh, like thousand, then it goes down 900, 800, 700. They keep going down until it's like a hundred or ish. They kind of keep going down. So that, that's kind of like the degradation part. So in, in the fall, this is kind of what happened. There's death, there's degradation, everything just got harder. 
So now, like uh, at this point, it's like a pretty uh, sad. Like uh, you, you might think it's oh, a tough life. <laughs> but so let's take a look at the next part. So hopefully this part's like uh, the part that's more encouraging. So now we come to the part where it's about restoration. So this is also kind of the part where we are. We should continue to remind ourselves of in this season or so of what Christ has done. So when we talk about restoration, the first thing that happened is a restoration of authority. Remember, like uh, in the dominion, we are supposed to subdue all the animals and all the beasts. And then in the fall, this beast kind of flipped the role around. And so like uh, now it's the time where Christ came and kind of flipped this role back to where it should have been in the beginning. He kind of set the stage for it. And so let's, let us take a, a look at uh, Isaiah 14, verse 3 to 7. I kind of like how this verse uh, in the Bible, like they have this chapter heading, it says, Israel's remnant taunts Babylon. So let's take a look at this verse anyway. So in verse 3 it says, When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet, and they break forth into singing. So in this part, you kind of see... uh, that Israel is starting to taunt Babylon, and there's a certain restoration that comes back here because Christ, the mediator, what he has done is to break the enemy's weapon and to break their foundations. And so this enables us to kind of connect back and kind of come back to what was planned initially. So like, uh, if we kind of look at Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 16 too. So it says, uh, this is, Relating to Satan, I think it's pretty interesting. It says in verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down from the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the peat. Those who see you or stare at you and ponder over you. Is this a man who had made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? So I think it's kind of an interesting relation here because when we, talk, when we think about Satan, in the Bible it says, uh, O day star, son of the dawn. I got, when you think, think about star, like you kind of immediately think about another star. And when you think about this another star, it's a bright morning star. So I think it's kind of interesting in this season too, because in the season of Advent, it's a time where the light, the daytime get more and more. And when we talk about Satan, it says like a son of the dawn. So when we talk about son of the dawn, there's, there's light, but the light starts fading out. But later you'll see when we talk about Jesus, it's a bright morning star. It's a time where it's in the morning, like the, it just get brighter and brighter. So there's a certain encouragement here that I think like, uh, we should think about all the time. 
especially in this season or so. And the other thing is a restoration of peace. So in the restoration of peace, our penalty is paid, and there's recompense, the war's over, and there's a communion back to God again. So let's take a look at these verses that talks about it. In Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 2, And this will be the reading for today also wow. from the lectionary. Uh, it says here, verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from all her sins. So what we see here is we see that whatever, all our penalty, all our sin has been paid for. And also, uh, let's take a, actually, let's also take a look at uh, Isaiah 40, verse 10 through 11. Because it says here, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So what we see here is like a, a gathering of flocks also. Like a, this is a restoration of communion with God. And we also see that God says, like a, that Christ says that he will bring his recompense. And this, this will be, will get pretty interesting later on. We will kind of look into this again. So there's also the desire for God. It starts to increase. And remember from the beginning, from the fall, it says uh, when God spoke to the woman, it says your desires will be contrary to the desires of your husband. And so in the restoration, it's kind of the opposite. This is restored again. There's the desire for God starts to increase again. So let's take a look at Isaiah 26, verse 1 through 9. It says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants to the, of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground. Cast it to the dust, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of righteousness. In the path of your judgment, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desires of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgment are in earth, the inhabitants of the world learns righteousness. So through this, what we see here is there's this desire for God again for all people. And this part is like also gradually being restored to. And the next thing uh, we also see, it's uh, uh, I also in that verse just now, I kind of described about this unassailable city, which I think brings uh, a great comfort to the church in some ways because God says this city cannot be attacked. And uh, for us, I think that brings a lot of comfort. Because this really says like the church will never grow deeper, you will only grow stronger and stronger. And the en whatever the enemy starts attacking the church, it will be all fended off 
because it's unassailable. So let's look at the next thing. It's a restoration of life and work. So let's take a look at Psalms 85, verse 11 to 13, also one of the readings today. It says, Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. So from this, we kind of see there's this productivity coming back again. Then there's this fruitfulness, and now the ground it becomes, is starting to become life-giving again. So there's this restoration of the earth. There's a restoration of life once again that was lost in the fall. And let's also take a look at Ephesians 6, verse 15. If you remember, like when we talk about the ground, when we talk about our feet, in Ephesians 6, verse 15, it's uh, the verse about the armor of God. And so when it talks about uh, the feet, it says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And let's also take a look at Joshua 1, verse 3. Ooh. Wrong one. <laughs> All right. It says, Every place that the sole of your foot will thread upon, I've given to you just as I promised to Moses. So I think it's interesting because if there's this, when we think about this dominion again over the earth, you kind of see the way that God has planned that when you increase in fruitfulness, like wherever God's people, their foot start threading upon, like that part of land is kind of restored because we bring in the gospel of peace. But this is also where fruitfulness and where having lots of people, having lots of children kind of plays a role in because the more people you have, the more land you cover, the more spaces you walk over. And that's kind of what Christ has brought about, that we kind of see what God has intended more clearly. So I think in, in some ways the Bible is kind of cool and uh, in the sense that um, like God gives the original intention. Sometimes it's not too clear what it actually means. We kind of see, when we look at the dominion mandate, oh, we kind of see what it is in the end, but we don't see the means to it sometimes. But through the Bible, like through the work of Christ, like the dominion mandate becomes clearer, it becomes more doable. Now we see how we can actually go there. And of course, a lot of it is through the work of Christ. And finally, we come to the last part. It's the finale. So it's the dominion of the earth again. You see now, it's like this will kind of start to parallel what was in, it, what was in the initial phase. So let's take a look at Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And you kind of remember what I've said before. When we talk about Jesus, we always refer to him as the bright morning star because in the morning, it might start out a little darker, but the day gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And there's, I think there's a certain time element here too. It's especially when you think about the day too, like I want to talk about mornings, like there's this gradually improvement over time, there's this gradually brightening over time. 
it's uh, like the, the earth is not designed in such a way where like once it hits like 7 a.m., it's suddenly the lights turn on. It's kind of different. It's like a, it graduates. You see the sun comes up. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And I think in this way, it's uh, kind of interesting how God has planned for it too. That you, when you, see, you start seeing the sun through the horizon, you see parts of it, but it kind of becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Like, and I think like a lot of times God worked this way too. Maybe in, in our own lives too, sometimes we see the work of God. When you're a baby Christian, you see a little bit, but over time you see the work of God more and more and more. And I think in the season also, in this season of Advent, it's kind of this, this one of the things that we kind of think about also, that we think about what God has done, we kind of reminisce what he has done throughout the time and throughout our lives also that we begin to see him more and more and more. And I guess uh, many of us have many more years ahead that we can continue to see what God is going to do more and more and more. So uh, the other one is the marriage of the Lamb. And uh, let's take a look at Revelations 21, verse 9 through 11. It says here, Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So then we see here, there's a completion of the adornment of the bride. Like here, the bride, the church, is being completed. And now we're coming into this marriage feast with the Lord again, with the Lamb. And uh, another thing that you probably see here, it's like uh, when you think about uh, the parable of the ten virgins, we probably won't turn to it. It's Matthew 25, verse 1 through 10. I think many of us are familiar with what the ten virgins has done. Five of them, they kind of have their lamps prepared and their wigs cut, but five of them they didn't have. And when the, the bride came, you also say the bride comes at a sudden time. Those, those who are prepared now goes into his joy, and the door is shut. shut. So I think it's a pretty similar uh, way to look at this also. That's when, like, uh, the church is continually improving. The church is continually getting more and more glorious through the work of God. And eventually, it will come to a state where, like, uh, it will be the final point, which is the marriage of the Lamb. And uh, the other thing that we see in uh, Revelation 21, verse 22 to 26. Let's take a look at that. It says, I saw no temple in the city. For the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its Lamb is the Lamb. Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. So what we see in this verse is like uh, nothing can be hidden anymore. All darkness is dispelled. And if you can't remember what I said, what I mentioned before in the fall, there's this darkness that comes. I remember what uh, Adam and Eve has done after they ate the fruit. What's the first thing they have done? Is they went and covered themselves. 
And, that, and here we see this restoration. There's, there's, like a, there's a brightness, and it kind of dispels all darkness, and darkness is no more. And there's also a perfect communion also, because from the verse we also read that now the city, this, like a, the, there's no temple in the city anymore, because the temple and the city, it's one. So this speaks of God and the bride and the church being back to one again. And if you remember again, that's what uh, in the starting, Adam have said when he saw Eve, the bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and the man shall live his uh, father and mother and be connected to his wife and become one flesh. And we see this restoration here too. And uh, let's look at, look at uh, Revelation 22, verse 5. And it says, The night will be no more, and they will have no need for light of the Lamb or Son, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And there's this eternal bliss here. <laughs> and uh, some ways, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, a lot of the shows that we watch, a lot of the, all the uh, Disney stuff. <laughs> It always ends off, and they live in bliss forever and ever and ever. Always a good way to end your story. Uh, let's take a look at verse 12, too. And now you remember like, uh, what was spoken in uh, Isaiah 40. Christ said he will bring his recompense here. And here you kind of see in Revelation 22, verse 12, you kind of say the same thing too. Behold, I'm coming soon. Bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So we see these two parallels. And the next thing, it's, uh, there's also this restoration. There's this completion of dominion over life. And let's take a look at uh, Revelation 21, verse 6 through 7. And he says, and he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we see this spring of life here, and it's kind of the end of death and degradation. And it's also a time of conquering, a time of dominion. Because it says in this verse, in verse 7, it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. And there's also this perfect communion. Because it says, I will be his God and he will be my son. And I think it's more than that because it's, uh, instead of God and his people, it's, it's more like God and his sons. So I think that's a really cool part. Um, then if you kind of take a look at John 4, verse 14. And it says here, But whoever drinks of the water, remember just now, the springs of life, that I give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's a dominion over life here. And of course, there's also the other one. And like, let's, take, let's take a look at Revelation 22, verse 1 through 3. It says, uh, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from, of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. 
Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with 12 kinds of fruit yielding its, oh, we can go back one, <laughs> yielding its fruit each month. And you see this restoration of productivity, like this land start giving life again. And this is like a, the fruit used its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed. So remember, like in the starting, the beast, like the serpent, God cursed the serpent. And God cursed uh, the land also. But now, there no longer will be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. And we see this uh, coming back, this desire for God again. This restoration of communion back to God once again. So we see uh, fruitfulness. We see healing. We see providence. And that's uh, kind of this end state. So I guess like, uh, hopefully uh, you guys are able to put all this in your mind, this four time periods. Like, uh, there's quite a lot in them. So this is just a small little selection of what I've brought out. There's just so much more. And like, uh, you'll see a lot of the things I talk about, they kind of overlap too. There's not really one that says, like, oh, it's just a dominion of life. It's, when it talks about it, it's just usually like a, a restoration of the dominion mandate over life, over earth, and also the marriage. And this kind of, kind of overlaps. So there's a lot more I can put in, but you'll start seeing like a tons of overlap here. <laughs> So uh, I guess a uh, food for thought for the upcoming weeks. So I think like, when we think about what uh, the people, the nation of Israel, what God's people has done in the past, there's a certain sadness, and, but it also kind of reminds us of uh, what was in the beginning. There's no hope. There's no chance for survival. There's no chance for life. Um, there's no way God can do anything uh, there's no way man can do anything that can bring us closer to God. Like this uh, gap that was left, it's, it's just so big that nobody can feel. And But what uh, this whole season of events really about, it's really this bridge that we're kind of talking about here, which is Christ, which mediates man and God. This bridge is built between man and God so that we can come, we can walk on this bridge and have fellowship with God again. And also, like the like what I mentioned about that song, uh, the one, a beautiful name. You didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. I think that's a really nice verse too, because it says, uh, "Like heaven was brought down from earth onto earth, from heaven onto earth." And this points towards uh, God's desire for all of us too. And it also points towards that God does not want to be a ruler, a strict ruler of us, but he wants to have communion, and of course, eventually he wants to, of course, like he wants to bring us back in his family as sons and daughters of his, and I, I think like this is a big privilege. So let's turn to uh, John 16, verse 21 to 22. It says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And remember when I talk about the birth pains, this is like a time of unrest. 
But what God is saying is that there might still be times of tribulations that we might face today. But what he has provided here is there's just encouragement now. I think the word, uh, the word encouragement is an interesting word because it's really made out of two words. One is uh, and, and the other one is courage. And when you, talk, when you think about the word uh, and or on, you might think about the word uh, en route. It's kind, of coming, it's kind of coming along the way. So when we talk about encouragement, to a certain extent, it's, uh, it's courage coming. So it's courage that's coming in, in, the, faith, in the time of tribulations. Uh, let's also take a look at John 16, verse 33. And it says here, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I think this is a pretty big uh, encouragement because now we kind of know uh, what Christ has done and you kind of know our end goal. And when you kind of know the end, you kind of know the end will be a, a victory. It's, it's a big assurance because like, uh, you know that, uh, that whatever you do cannot really change the plan of God. Like, uh, like, this, like victory, it's 100%. So, in some ways, rather than introspection over sin uh, in this, this a few weeks, rather we should focus more on God's mercy and His love. So, in some ways, like, uh, to summarize this sentence, I would say uh, it's letting God's light shine brighter than the darkness we have within us. Like, there's, there's something that we should focus more on, not the darkness you have within you, but the brightness that God is bringing into your life. And also in this season that we should expect God to do mighty works. Uh, I'd say like a good example is uh, Christmas presents. I know a lot of, a lot of people we like surprises. Uh, so in some ways, like, uh, it's, it's almost like a present that you're going to receive. And there's a lot of hyping up. Like, like the Bible kind of talks about, oh, this present is going to be great. Then you're like, oh, excited. Especially when you look at kids, when you talk, when you hype them up, when you talk about, like, say, Disneyland, they're like, ah, oh. like, oh, so exciting. And so in some ways, like this, the kind of uh, mindset that we also should have, that we should be like the kid that's like, uh, ready to go to Disneyland the night before. It's like, ah, oh, it's coming. <laughs> it's finally here. Ooh. So in some ways, like, we should expect God to do mighty works in our midst. And that should be a continual thing too. And last but not least, it's know that God has your goodwill in his plans. And so in this season, have less complaints, more thanksgiving. Of course, I'm also a, uh, a sufferer of this. I like complaining a lot. But that's also uh, something that will be continually reformed in all our lives, to complain less and to give thanks more. Well, we have uh, two minutes. You can have for coffee. Thanks for listening.